Hello, and welcome to another episode of Games in Schools and Libraries. This is Kathleen Mercury coming to you from Charlottesville, Virginia. Normally I'm in St. Louis, but um, I was looking ahead at a summer where everything had been canceled, and knocking around in my house by myself all day long did not seem like the greatest idea, so some friends invited me to come and stay with them, so I'm here. My friend is in the gaming industry, so we've been playing lots of games and hanging out with their kids and baking all kinds of delicious things like punch cake and bread and bread and bread. So it's been good. So I'm excited that I actually have a little bit of home with me today. My good friend, Lydia Ray Waymeyer is here to talk with us. Lydia is a teacher in St. Louis who also uses games in the classroom. And I'm super excited to have her on the show. Lydia, welcome. Hello. Are you going to bring some of that bread back home? (laughs) Uh, would that it exists i will say that the new york times no need bread recipe is terrible i have tried it three times and i have created a delicious tasting loaf of bread that is very hockey puck like um i mean it's great toasted with like nutella because what isn't but um yeah just but i've had the best luck with actually just kneading bread and really that's the fun part so sorry new york times I appreciate your coronavirus coverage being free, but not your bread recipes. So, but Lydia, more exciting than that is all the cool things that you are doing in the classroom using games. And I'm so excited because... You teach drama and public speaking, and also you're working on your master's in in counseling. And there's all kinds of different cool ideas that you're using and exploring regarding games. And I'm so glad that we get to talk with you today. Um, So do you want to go ahead and just introduce yourself to people who don't know you? Now I'll need to definitely tell people not to look at that New York Times (laughs) recipe. (laughs) I have a lot of friends that are bakers, and they're all about the bread now. If they can find the yeah. ingredients. <laughs> uh, I actually ordered a pound of yeast from Amazon and it came yesterday. So I'm good. There you go. None of this sourdough starter for me. That's work. <laughs> but, you know, it's like she said, it's like, hi, my name is Lydia. I teach actually about like seven, eight minutes away from Kathleen back here in St. Louis, mm-hmm. Missouri. Uh, I teach in mm-hmm. the school district at University City and I teach sixth or eighth grade. Yay, the middles. Woo. Mm-hmm. And um, so I teach public speaking, so teaching kids how to communicate and active listen, and as well as do speeches in front of people, which is kind of difficult because they have a lot of I mean, sca- <laughs> a lot of stage fright. I'm sorry, but teaching middle schoolers to do active listening, speak in front of other people, holy cow. <laughs> I mean, one of the most <laughs> successful lessons that I've done is when they've done a persuasive debate as well Mm. as a Socratic seminar. And let me tell you, the Socratic seminar was intense because they had to listen and not speak. And it was kind of funny when people would get outbursts because when they get an outburst, they get points taken off. They're like, no. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. But I teach them all of that stuff. So, Yeah. Well, and what I think is really interesting, especially for you, is how you are combining your background as um, a speech and drama teacher with counseling and then how you're looking at both of those things into like moving your career forward. And this is so interesting. So uh, explain what this means to you. So I got exposed to psychodrama with my therapist. And one Mm -hmm. of the reasons why I went into counseling was because I didn't 
get a healthy upbringing in regards to positive mental health. I was always taught by my parents to keep it down, that you had to be strong, that no, you, you know, people cry, but you know, you just got to deal with it. And mm-hmm. that's a lot that happens in the black community. It's a stigma. Medication for like antidepressants and anxiety is non-existent. You just have to suck it up and be strong. Only since I've become mm-hmm. an adult, I've been able to really focus on, you know, just really doing mental health in a positive light for me. And my therapist mm-hmm. recommended me, you know, for counseling because I just never had a really good experience. I've always been told I've been like a mentor and from different school experiences and with school counseling, I was actually originally on the school counseling track because Mm -hmm. kids gravitate to me. They want me as a therapeutic source for them, but realizing that I wouldn't be able to do the one-on-one personal, you know, attention and personal help that I really want to do is why I switched to clinical mental health. And my therapist told me, hey, Lydia, do you know that there's an aspect of psychodrama? Because I have to figure out what specialty I was going to do. And then Mm -hmm. developing into the world of psychodrama where you can actually use theater as therapy was amazing. Like I could use monologues, for example, for a client that, you know, maybe has a hard time speaking to their parent about how they truly feel. You know, usually with monologues, you're talking to an invisible person. So that would be an exercise for them. So my goal is to, Mm -hmm. you know, because I love theater. I wanted to originally be an actress, but I was like, I'm not about that life. I need stability. I need a stable income. Yeah, (laughs) I I can't move to Mm -hmm. New York and just because there's always going to be someone better than you in the acting field. And that's what I talk to my uh, kids about in theater is that you have to prove to me what makes you the best out of everyone else. And finding out about psychodrama and finding out that I can do it in a therapeutic source, like it just opened my eyes. So my goal is to become a psychodramatist and focal like focal point would be group therapy, where I can use that Mm -hmm. with a group of people. And as well, looking into board games as a form of play therapy, uh, which is just so cool. I'm just so excited. I, I, I have so many ideas of combining this and I'm very passionate in these two ways of therapy that I really, really think would really help community of all ages and abilities and races. So you've already started using games a lot in your classes. And I think for some, they might be surprising because I mean, there's games have an aspect of role play. Like even if you're playing Monopoly, you're playing the role of a landlord sort of, (laughs) but there's certainly other games that are at go. Nope. Going to jail. There you go. Or taxes. Right, exactly. But I mean, but you use games a lot with your students, both, you know, as part of like, obviously, like, how do you use it as part of your drama curriculum, or your public speaking curriculum, but also, and this can be two separate things, but also, how do you use it in a trauma informed way? Because we've been talking more and more about in education about a trauma informed classroom. And I myself, am leery of anything where I don't want it to tip over into where I'm trying to do therapy. But if I can use these games with kids in a positive way that does have some of these benefits that come um, from that approach, then, you know, like I would want to do it. So um, this is like, this is like, I think like three questions in one. So maybe (laughs) 
just if you want to and then remind me going on because it's like you know we all have like quarantine brain going on we don't know what time or day it is and it's just like (laughs) i don't know but i think to tackle your first one is how i utilize my life is all about what time (laughs) the bread is rising or the crock exactly and mine is like looking through (laughs) pinterest and figuring out what i'm gonna cook today even though i have like tons of other meals that are already made Yeah, that's no fun. Okay, so so talking about games and drama, how do you use that with that aspect of your curriculum? Well, what's really cool is that if you look at any, I started from going to conventions and having this, you know, passion of bringing it into my classroom. I've been able to like look at my game library and associate it with any content and specifically mine of speech and theater. So for mm-hmm. example, uh, for my advanced drama, we did an RPG unit. Um Mm-hmm. with your mermaid adventures which is so awesome they loved it mm-hmm. and the really cool thing about it was it's a storytelling aspect you could do mm-hmm. so much with it you could do character analysis where you know with the role-playing sheets they can develop their characters but then you can also take it a step further by having them develop a backstory of how they became a mermaid or if they were born a mermaid or just something along the lines of that you could break it apart to where before starting the story that they have to create a personal monologue about maybe an issue they have or just who they are. You can do scenography work where you can do settings. You can have them build sets and then also focusing on the different acting toolboxes of, you know, body movement, vocal, just everything can be tied into a role playing with the overall umbrella of storytelling, which makes it such a great tool for the drama classroom. Well, and what's, well, first, I want to say that uh, Mermaid Adventures comes from the brilliant mind of Aloy LaSanta, Third Eye Publishing. Um, it's a great RPG, and I really like how the book walks them through character creation. So it's an easy sort of ramp up to more complex mm-hmm. D20 games. It's a much more simpler game system. Um So credit where credit is due there. But one nice thing I would think about RPGs in a drama classroom is it takes away that pressure of memorization Mm -hmm. of knowing the lines. This way they can, from the one high school, the sorry, the one college acting class I took where they talked about living believably in an imaginary world. Mm -hmm. And role play games seem to facilitate that quite well. Most definitely. And it also requires, you know, the students to build this sense of community and trust with one another. You know, it's Mm -hmm. not a competition. It's about, you know, cooperation with each other. Building the ensemble is what I teach very early on in my drama classrooms and how we need to rely on each other. So unless it's stated in the story or how they develop the story, We just, we're all Mm -hmm. here for one goal, and that's to have fun. And it just works on the RPGs are just such a great creative way for that outside thinker, that kid, that if they don't really want to participate, they can do a design project with it and still be a part of it. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Um, Because, yeah, especially, you know, when, what I like too about the Mermaid Adventure system is because the system itself is, it is not rules heavy as far as how things go and also um, lends itself to really exploring narrative spaces, mm-hmm. but it also it gives you structured adventures that you could have. It just, it kind of, for me, it hits that, that line of giving kids enough information and structure where they know how to play, but there's enough wiggle room where they can really improvise on it and make it their own. Oh, absolutely. And I kind of used, you can also use mermaid adventures or just any RPG as an improv assessment, 
which is so cool. Mm. It's a low risk game, low risk storytelling. And especially with kids that are afraid to get up in front of people and perform and they have different possible cognitive issues where they're intimidated to, you know, get up and memorize a script. Just like you said, like, there's no fear because they don't have to memorize. And I was so surprised that my, like, boy, like, students enjoyed making mermaids as much as my girl students. Mm-hmm. And it just made me so happy. They're just like, Miss Waymeyer, can my item be like a spiky bracelet? And I'm like, you make that spiky bracelet. <laughs> you go, Cameron. You do whatever you want. And then I had like, can I make my tail pink? And I was like, Why? Because I'm a mermaid and I could do what I want. And I'm like, that is right. It is your world. And it's really cool because with all the stuff that's going on today with race and class boundaries in school and just everything, it's just so cool for them just to be able to have that freedom to just make what they want without, you know, any penalties with it, which is so cool. Yeah. And that's one thing, too, because I remember when I was explaining my first time I did an RPG class and I explained which ones we were doing. And I had kids in that class who knew, memorized the D&D books backwards and forwards. And when I explained about Mermaid Adventure, I just heard this one little voice in class say, I have always wanted to be a mermaid. And you're right, because the nice thing is, is it takes away that sort of, you know, that knowledge curve of fantasy yeah. games. Because if you don't know what an, the difference is between an orc and an elf is, then it's really intimidating. D&D is incredibly intimidating, but this is a level playing field of fish. And what type of fish ooh, you want to be an urchin will look at you with your bad self. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, and yeah. I just and- thought it was just so cool because I really did want to do like a D&D type thing. But just mm-hmm. the theme, I don't think at this moment would have been a good entry RPG for them. And... Mm-hmm. They just, and I set it up, you know, because I'm this crazy theater teacher. I had my, mm-hmm. my, um, whatever it's called, my interactive whiteboard, my smart board with bubbles, and I had music playing. I had, you know, so when they walked in and I had the lights down, and, you know, we cheered for Mermaid Adventures to prepare, and we did that for each session. And it, uh-huh. it's just, it was just so cool. I think that's like one of the that's- things I miss, like, not like with being in my classroom, it's just, having those moments, seeing how excited they are with playing and then just enjoying the laughter. Oh yeah. No, that's one thing is the hardest thing for sure is, um, work. I just miss my kids so much. I just, I, I miss working with them. It's really hard to create. It's near impossible to create that same sort of environment when you're on a zoom call. I mean, we're trying. Yeah. You know what I mean, but well, so, well, let's, let's talk about working with kids a little bit more because especially when we talked before about, you know, like a trauma informed classroom, and working with kids and their social emotional growth and, and health. How do games add that other layer for you? Um, what's really cool is that with doing games in my classroom brought out the independence mm-hmm. and the leadership with some of my kids that you would have never thought they would want to mm. do. And so kind of like what I do in my classroom, kind of like with I, I've set up consistently board game Fridays, where it's kind of like a mental break. Because whatever of what's going on in the world, you know, we work hard from Monday through Thursday and Friday, you know what I need a break too. And then they mm-hmm. also need to catch up on other things because reality known, it's like I'm an elective teacher. 
my classes don't count as much as the core teachers. And, you know, that's just the reality of the situation. They may have projects Mm -hmm. they need to do. So during that free time, playing games is an option. They can go and do their work. And then I have open tables. So if I've taught a game and they really gravitate towards it, I kind of make them ambassadors of my games where they're able Mm -hmm. to feel comfortable going to other kids in the classroom and teach them a game. And these Mm -hmm. are students volunteering for this that usually have their head down in class. And so I'm so shocked that they would be more happy to like lead a game of phase 10 or medium instead of actually Mm -hmm. doing the work that I present to them in class. So it's just a really cool thing because most of the kids I deal with, like we had mentioned, they come from trauma environments and some may have not slept, but the enjoyment that they have with playing a game in the room and enjoying talking to people, you know, when it's not like a content associated time, it's just really cool. Yeah. And, and, and helping to build positive associations towards school in general has to be a good thing. It is. You know, where it's they, so structured. they know that there's a safe place. Yeah. And a lot of kids don't respond to structure well, especially the ones that I work with. And going back to the girl, um, you know, I had a very therapeutic experience where she was feeling down. She's usually really spunky and she was just feeling sad. And I want to, you know, we're, Teachers kind of balance the line of mentor and counselor, and you don't want to do too much because that's not in our scope of practice. But I introduced, you know. But if a kid's needing help yes. and someone's hurting, we want to be able to address that. Yes. And by doing that, you know, by helping them in any shape or form, you know, builds that rapport and just mm-hmm. being welcoming so they can trust you. And I feel like trust in a board gaming community, especially in the classroom, is key. Because if they realize that there is no trust and positivity in that circle, they're not going to want to join. And Mm -hmm. that is a big thing, like, you know, with the emotional support is knowing that, you know, if they have a bad time in the morning and they come through my door, they know it's board game Friday. And so they're able to kind of put for like 45 minutes just to be able to enjoy themselves with their peers. Which is so cool. Are there any are there any type of games then that you don't allow? Because I mean if, if you're gonna look at like, you know, if somebody would walk in on a Friday, would they see this as a speech and and drama class, or do you not worry about that on those Fridays? I usually don't worry about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's because anything that I do in my classroom I can back up with a lesson plan. So I've already like prepared lesson plans and I have the support of my superintendent. And my Mm. assistant superintendent, because it's project-based learning. And, you know, I've actually gotten permission for them. And they've allowed me to represent the district at conferences, Um, which was just really, it was just really nice. It's Mm -hmm. when I tell people this, you know, and I'm glad you mentioned that comment about, you know, like, are you worried about getting in trouble? Is that I do teach all the time all theater content. And I do incorporate games, you know, such as with assessments. But Mm -hmm. I believe, and it goes towards the trauma-informed learning, that, you know, they need a break. Everyone needs a break. Mm -hmm. And they're always posting about in my building, focus on your mental health. So I use it as a mental health break. 
Mm-hmm. And I analyze well, it and and present data. It's like if I have a teacher, you know, or a principal come in for like a pop in administration, I pull them aside and explain what's going on and have them join. And I can explain kind of what we were doing in the previous days and how this kind of ties in. So I kind of choose games like that kind of show is like a summative assessment, so to speak. Yeah, that's really that's cool. I have been criticized a lot. People in the community, like at my building, they're like, oh, you're just playing games for fun. And I'm like, yeah, they are for fun. And what's wrong with that? Why can't school be fun? Well, it's not anything engaging. And then I present my long list of, well, here's how board games are engaging. You know, this child that just ran around your classroom an hour ago is sitting here with everyone teaching a game. This kid Mm -hmm. has an IEP. This kid is known throughout the building as a troublemaker. And you come into my room and you see that this kid is not a troublemaker. That something Mm -hmm. that connects with a board game is working with him to center him. How is it engaging, you may ask? Active listening, communication skills, team building, independence, leadership, positivity. There's so many things. And so I just really focus on that because... I see the benefits in it. I've seen kids change and them engage more with my content, especially with, you know, public speaking. I chose, you know, like a game like Pitch Storm, where they have to try to persuade people to take their movie pitch. That takes a Mm -hmm. lot of courage. If you're able to do that for a minute, you should be able to stand up and do a one minute speech. And then when they realize like, oh, it's just like this in the game that we played. Yeah. Okay. I feel a little bit better now. Hmm. That's fun. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's so good. So what games have you found that have worked really well with your students? And have there been any games that haven't worked well for you or your students? Um, I'll go for the first part. First, in regards to mm-hmm. games that worked well, medium, medium mm-hmm. from greater than games has been a big hit. Just because mm-hmm. I don't know, it's just a very adaptable game. It seems that all people of all abilities can play with it and they Mm -hmm. just have fun. And it's a very easy game that kids feel like not intimidated by. You can teach it without a rule book. It's something, you know, tangible. So if kids want to play with the pieces responsibly (laughs) where they're not trying to chew on them or bend them, I don't know why they do that. I just, I had to remind them like, these are my game pieces. They're like, I'm sorry, Miss Waymeyer. It's just like, I'm just hungry. And I'm like, well, here's a piece of gum. Just don't chew up my game pieces. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. That's funny. Yeah. No, because, and actually, because my games are mine. Yeah, well, same. All the games in my classroom are my personal games. So it's like, when you throw around a game thing, that's my stuff you're throwing. Do you want me to come to your house and throw your stuff around? I do not think so. You know? Yeah, I have to tell a lot of kids that too, because I have to sleeve all my cards. Because I'm like, I don't know where your hands have been. I don't want my game dirty. But why do you have to be so extra, Miss Waymeyer? This game costs $50. Whoa! <laughs> and I'm like, they're expensive, but I bring them to you. And they're like, oh, you're so sweet, Miss Waymeyer. And I'm like, okay, so don't bend my card again. <laughs> right. Exactly. No, I had um, two students were playing uh, a game where one had to pass a card to somebody else. And basically, person A held on to the card too tight, person B pulled too hard and the card tore. And I was so annoyed. I said, Okay, you two will do nothing else in this classroom until you come up with a shared statement of responsibility that you both will sign off on. And it took them a day and a half. I mean, I mean, that means a class and a half. So 45 minutes plus another 
you know, 15, 20, not yeah. full days. Um, and even that it was sort of begrudging as far as the statement, but I still have it taped uh, <laughs> on my wall. And I usually <laughs> so. have them do kind of like a contract. Uh, another game that the kids absolutely love was Drop It. They love mm. Drop It, but some of them have really really like big strength in their hands and they broke mm. one of my green pieces and they were like I'm sorry and they glued it back together and I'm like okay that's good it's I appreciate mm-hmm. you but yeah I mean I I think you can't have kids play games and and then expect them to be collectible like I've honestly my kids take really good care of my games um because they know they're mine so the number of like bad accidents that have happened with like a kid like the two kids Mm -hmm. are so rare few and far between but they're still kids yeah and I always have to teach them like a level of responsibility so I always connect it back to the Mm -hmm. classroom so let's let's just say this was a prop you know the game was a prop you were on stage and you weren't taking care of it and the audience is you know looking at you how, how do you think mm-hmm. the audience would feel? And how do you think that your cast would feel? So just bringing it back to them of being aware. Um, yes. And then after that, they're just like, oh, okay, I'm sorry. And they expect, they expect that. I try to not be as strict, so to speak, mm-hmm. when gaming. Because a lot of them want to be welcome. And they do not want to feel like they've done something wrong. I do not want them to have shame when they play board games, because if they feel any ounce of shame, it's done. You've lost them. They're never going to try it again, especially in the middle school age. So just talking to them very calmly and just like, because they expect, they're like, oh, no, I brought this way by his piece. I'm like, it's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, just make sure you don't do that again. You know, I still love you, but you know. Right, right. Yes. I, uh, my trick is that I give them middle names. So it might be Lydia, Ray, Elizabeth, Lucille, Kumquat, Cantaloupe, Watermelon. Ooh, I like, that. like when I'm done, when I'm done running through middle names, like that's when I've kind of like brought myself, you know, down a few notches yeah. so that I can, you know, talk to them as a person. It, it helps to get over that initial like, oh my God, what did you do kind of moment. Yeah, just mm-hmm. say, give them all middle names. The first one has to be Elizabeth. Um, <laughs> Or at least that's what I choose. Every kid's like, my middle name's not Elizabeth. I'm like, it is if I'm yelling at you. And like mm. my middle name's Elizabeth. I, I usually say, sir, excuse oh. me, sir. Or I just oh, throw like so a tiny cool. piece of paper. So they're all like, ah. And I'm like, now looky here. And they're like, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. You got to clean my room now. And I can get out a little bit. Of- nope. You got to clean my room. And you lose one participation point. Please. No, clean my room. For two days, no participation points lost. They're like, okay. And it's like, okay, all is forgiven. Go on. Go ahead and play. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. You cannot teach middle school if you hold a grudge. No. Cannot. No. Cannot. And the ones who do doesn't work out so well. No. Usually. Most definitely. I haven't, um, in regards to games, like, the one game they really didn't like was the Roll and Write. Uh, oh, my gosh. I'm blanking. It's a uh, board game tables game. Is it welcome? Oh, to- on tour. On tour. I'm thinking of welcome to for something else. But mm-hmm. they did not like it. They didn't get mm. it. And it started, you know, with a little analyzation for myself that, you know, the cognitive development of middle school versus high school is very interesting in board gaming. Because the, mm. the on tour game would probably fit better with high schoolers. They just didn't seem engaged. They were kind of bored with it. And mm-hmm. I haven't tried any deck building 
games yet that I really want to try. I'm just still kind of researching what entry. You know, I'd love to try Clank with them. I think they they really, really enjoy that because of the whole, <laughs> I got to get out and get my treasure out before someone like kills me or the dragon gets me. Um, mm. But yeah, they didn't really care for on tour at all. They, and, and that was the first lesson that, you know, I had to teach them that you're not going to like every game because I right. really felt bad. I was like, oh, kids are like, I'm sorry, Miss Waymeyer, we didn't like it. We know that you brought it home. And I'm like, it's okay. You're not going to like every game. And it's right. good that you don't like every game because that would right. just be very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, do you, do you like every food? And they're like, no. But they were like, but you brought it for us. And I was like, no, it's okay. You know, it's, and then we change. That's why I usually bring about like five to eight games. I usually Mm -hmm. have some of the ones that we've played before that if they have a preference, we play it. But I always try to bring a new game, just a new different Mm -hmm. type of game. So it's just, they're not just stuck on it. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And that's one thing too, because I found for my students where if they don't like the theme, even if it's a really good game, no, the theme will make such a difference because yes, you're right, having that sort of like personal connection. I mean, for kids, most kids are not excited about the idea of a road trip. You know, yeah. being in a car for eight hours is not fun for them. So like, hey, let's plot your travels all over. Like, I could see where that would be. Uh, Even difficult. though like and visually the, you know, the instructions are pretty clear once you teach it. Uh-huh. But I just noticed a lot of kids don't have the focus to do like a roll and write. Oh, they did like Deadly Doodles. I'll mention that a little bit later because it's about oh, the that theme. super fun. Yeah, it's the yeah, theme. I'm so glad you mentioned about the theme. Mm-hmm. Because I found that they were not interested in the theme with on tour and they just start coloring in the circles. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's a pretty art. Well, let's not play this game because you're not supposed to just color in everything. And they're like, but it looks better that way, Miss Waymeyer. And I'm like, okay, who wants to play the mind? Me. <laughs> right. That's funny. Yeah. Well, and it's funny too, the things like um, kids are way more okay with like, take that and player elimination than adult gamers are. I mean, probably because we had enough of that as kids. Um, But yeah, so when it comes to games, they're like, you know, a lot of times kids are way better about having the bad thing happen to them than adult gamers Mm -hmm. are, you know, even when it's a choice and not a luck-based action. You know, I've I've not seen kids, well, I've seen kids flip their stuff, not necessarily the table, though. Unstable Um, Unicorns is a game that I've kind of put on our our Waymire's ban list. That was our first mm. game. Just because they got so competitive that they got mean. And that was the Mm. one thing I had to teach a lesson. I was like, well, how do you think your attitude towards this game and towards others that you're playing kind of ruins the community. I always bring it back to community because we're all united in this, Mm -hmm. you know, at our table to build happiness with each other. And they're like, well, I feel like they're attacking me. And I was like, okay. And I just don't like it. All right. So how can we change that? Well, I can try to not target her so much with the power ups and, and stop neighing her. And I'm like, that, that that might be a good point because I lose focus right. on the game. So I'm like, well, you guys, you guys are becoming too hype with this game. We're going to put it in the Waymire band pile until we're able to mm-hmm. establish some norms to make sure that no one's going to get really hurt from it. Because people were walking away from the table like, I'm not playing this game with this person. They're too mean. They're too extra. And I was like, okay, this is an example of games that should be on a ban list. <laughs> well, okay. So you've, you've, 
you're talking about how you approach games with students. And I think this is worth delving a little bit more to, you know, as far as I mean, I think from just listening, you get a sense of how you present games to students, how you guide them, but especially since they are such a big part of your classroom. Do you have any other types of like rules or guidelines or approaches to how you have kids play their games? Um, Basically, I I teach it. I know it's like kind of like a free fun Friday, but I always have like the objectives. I always have Mm -hmm. like my standards and my objectives on the board when they first walk in. And I'm always the last choice because I just want them to know that they have options. If I just said you have Mm -hmm. to play a game, you know, which I have done once because I had to give some extra participation points. So I did a 25 game, like a 25 person game of just one with dry erase Mm -hmm. boards, which was really cool. And after that, people were like, hey, Miss Waymeyer, can I go do work? I'm like, sure. But at least you tried. At least you tried and participated. But I always have options because there's so many things in the school systems where they just really don't have a lot of choice and Mm -hmm. it bothers them, you know. So I always want them to know that they have the freedom of choice in my room, even with assessments and assignments, they usually have like one to two or three that they can choose from just so they can mm-hmm. find something that they can feel comfortable doing. And I do right. the real yeah. choice and not the illusion of yeah, choice. Yeah, exactly. You can do this project or this project on this one topic, but you're really mm-hmm. giving them a range for them to show what they know. Yeah. So I had like deliberately set up three tables and I had three tables. Two were tables set up with like Monopoly, Phase 10, and Uno, because that, those are the games that they're familiar with. And then I mm-hmm. sat at the main table for kids to come play with me for a new game. Sometimes I would get the same people. Sometimes I wouldn't get any for a class. And I had to kind of reassure myself, you know, in the beginning, I was like, well, they're, they just don't want to play with me. What I'm trying to do is not working. But then I have six other classes to try this out with. You know, mm-hmm. if some people wanted me to teach them the game first, but not play, I'd be happy to do so. So it's just overall the body language that you present to someone with presenting the games in classrooms um, and just allowing them to sit and watch. Because usually if you allow them to sit and watch, they'll probably join in the second time. It's all this fear of being accepted, even in a board game that a lot of Mm -hmm. my kids displayed. And so I just I know I've mentioned it before, but just welcome and just open. If there's a seat Mm -hmm. there, they'll make it, which is so cool. Well, and I think one thing that's important about this, too, is your approach isn't games first, it's students first. And I think that's really important because if I love a game so much and I really want my students to love it, too, and they don't, you know, if I make the mistake of thinking that what I'm doing is really about the game, then I'm not serving them or myself well. But if it's about themselves and following where they are willing to go and using that to inform of where you might want to, you know, offer for them to go next, but not trying to make what you love what they love. No, most definitely. And I, it's a very student centered. I let mm-hmm. them make the decisions for games. I don't make the decisions. I pick, I select a game, and if they're feeling very comfortable with it and with the permission, they can go into my game bag. I started bringing like four or five game bags, you know, as much as Mm -hmm. I wanted them to get more into the strategy game, the most strategic game they played was Catan. And mind Mm -hmm. you, I still have like, I have 45 minute class periods. So if it's a new game, you know, I had to be selective on what I brought in. And because of the age group, 
I realized that a lot of them don't want strategy, like really heavy strategy. So like I couldn't bring like Dominion. I couldn't, Mm -hmm. you know, I couldn't bring, they liked Quacks of Plinlumberg, but they kind of fidgeted around in the bag a lot more than I had hoped. And so they kind of lost track. It wasn't as focused. Um, Yeah. But no, it's, it's very student centered. And that's what, you know, I had to explain to a lot of people that were criticizing me about it. It's like, I'm not just bringing board games into the classroom just to bring them. I'm bringing them for a purpose. I'm not going to waste all my time and my energy and money that I bring out of my own pocket to supply my own game library for nothing. I could just Mm -hmm. do it at home. But I feel that these kids had no opportunities to know what this type of modern board gaming is and seeing the results of them enjoying it and wanting to teach family members and how they actually enjoy being in my space is well worth it. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about working with kids remotely because this, um, the pandemic and distance learning has rocked education and I hope in a good way. I mean, I, there's a lot of grace I'm willing to give to teachers for how we approached education immediately when we shut down, because at least in our school, we had two days to prepare before we went live. So if all teachers did was digitize what they were doing to push out, I get that because for most teachers, you know, completely transforming their education at the drop of the hat wasn't necessarily something that they were prepared to do, informed to do, ready to do, knew how to do. But knowing that in the fall, distance learning will probably be um, (laughs) something that we experience again in some capacity. Um, You know, we we have the ability to think about how we approach it differently in the fall. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's, Let's let's talk about what you did before we shut down for the summer. And then what do you see happening in the fall? So as far as your classes go. So basically what I had to do is that I like I've mentioned, I've teach six different classes. I teach sixth through eighth grade students of all different levels. So when March mm-hmm. hit and we had to shut down, I had to make a decision. Basically, everyone was transferring what they were teaching in the in their classrooms onto Google Classroom. That was kind of the platform mm-hmm. they wanted us to use. Same. But for me, I was like, well, what am I going to do for kids <laughs> that they'll enjoy? I know some kids that are not going to do anything. And I understand mm-hmm. homework is the last thing during this pandemic. Like, I understand. I didn't want to do anything. So I had Mm -hmm. to talk to myself and be like, what is something that we can enjoy? What is something that we can still get a benefit from and everything? And then I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, my gosh, I can do an RPG unit via Google Classroom because that's something Mm -hmm. that I've always wanted to do because I want to be able to like share this creation with other people. Uh So I've used masks the RPG and remind me. Oh, that's a great yeah, one. Yeah, remind me of uh, who is the author of that. I didn't get a chance to write it down. Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head. But I got but it from Masks. Yeah, uh, but is it Masks? Is is it Apocalypse World System? Yeah, I think so. Yes. Yeah. So I know it's a yeah, bunch okay. of superheroes, and they talk about hard framing, and you have playbooks, and you get to create your own superhero, and 
It's just fun. I was so excited. But then I'm like, okay, how am I going to make this educational? So Mm -hmm. I basically broke apart the RPG and did several check for understanding. So they had to do vocab. They had to do setting work. They had to do all this research to understand the backstory before Mm -hmm. actual playing. So the first two weeks were just basic information. They had to prove to me that they understood the material before, you know, playing it and actually having a Mm -hmm. story. Because the whole thing is right now, everyone needs an escape. Why not escape into a superhero world where you can separate from yourself and just be something new? And that was something Mm -hmm. really, really cool that I loved. And how it connects with drama and public speaking is that once you were center stage, you were there. But you can also pretend to be someone you're not. And it's just, mm-hmm. I have no idea what the kids were going through. And I broke it down as simply as I could that even a first grader would be able to do it. And it's easy to grade. They just had to do responses. So on the front stream of Google Class. Well, so how many students did you have? Oh, okay. So I had six different classes, each with 25 kids. Wow. I mean, because so, so, I mean, because my numbers aren't that dissimilar. So, um, so tell me again, like how, like, okay. How, okay. So then how would this actually work? And then how would the story progress with so many different kids chiming in? <laughs> so this was, it was fun. So basically uh, in the playbooks, they had to choose their own characters and they could develop and create it whichever way they want. According to the mm-hmm. manual and how the campaigns would go, there would be several dice rolling components with like, I think two D sixes and mm-hmm. there are certain abilities that they could choose. But I realized that a lot of kids don't have access to technology most of the time and mm-hmm. their focus is not going to be so much focusing on the abilities that their particular character would do. So I decided to hard frame and just basically hard framing is just coming up with the story and then they respond to it. So that's what I did. I made up scenarios. They had to decide what scenario they were going to go on. Mm -hmm. And I was basically the GM and they had to figure out vocabulary and what an NPC was, a GM, uh, everything. So they would Mm -hmm. know different terms. And For example, on the Google stream, I would say like, you know, oh, we have to go. um, The mayor wants our help. You know, we read this letter and how they would get points is that they had to respond to what we should do. So I would always say directions. What should we do? Should we open the letter or should we go talk to someone first? And then I would list all these responses. And based on these responses, I would make a decision of what to do next. And like you said, I have a lot of kids. So Mm -hmm. I literally had to go through each one of my sections, read each one of the comments and literally create six different campaigns based on the responses to keep the story going. (laughs) That's really, so what, so if you do this again, what changes would you make to this in the fall? Um, I would have a live like zoom or Google hangouts where we can, actively conversate with it because Mm, that's the one thing that I missed. I missed, you know, having the kids create more, you know, story development. And Mm -hmm. sometimes kids would just put no. And then I'd have to go back and be like, okay, so no, what do you mean? You know, and that's how they would get their points is to know 
we have to keep the story progressing. So it was so important for them to keep active with the story. And there were classes where, especially my sixth graders, because I felt so bad for them, the school decided to keep them in their third quarter class. So I had my third quarter class again. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any new sixth graders because we have them in like six or eight week increments. Uh-huh. And so I had to, you know, encourage them a lot more because they technically passed my class, but then they had to redo it again. So mm-hmm. I had to kind of wait. And then I started developing different ways of moving the story along where, you know, maybe they didn't have to participate or I'd have to have one person make a statement like, oh, like I had a character named Solar Flare. Solar Flare looks at the sign. And then I would mention only Solar Flare should answer this. And usually it would be with a kid that's always actively participating. So I'd always look to see who's been consistent with their answering and just to keep the story going. But I really miss the actual communication. So I would definitely set up a time where we would have our sessions, like for like maybe a 30 minute session where we can actually go through, you know, the story instead of having Mm -hmm. it typed out. So where, and this is a bigger question than just, you know, your particular curriculum, or maybe it's not, but basically, I think we have a moment, or this is a moment for us to look at what we do. Uh, So much of education has been sort of centered around the factory model, as far as just how it's structured, how we, you know, our expectations are all about preparing kids for the workforce, you know, that sort of thing. But I don't know that that model really fits anymore. I And I, I let me amend that. I know it doesn't really fit anymore, especially when we're looking at distance learning. What would you want to see happen in education as a result of these experiences that would move us forward? I think, honestly, like what I do in my classroom is just attach every assessment and every curriculum because I developed my own curriculum um, Mm -hmm. to have it reflect real world experiences. I think that's what's really missing in education because a lot of kids have the stigma of like, what is this going to do for me? How is Mm -hmm. this going to help me? And then I have to have this conversation of how does drama help you? So I take out the elements of drama and just associate it to them as the actor, Mm -hmm. as this person how you're gonna have to build communication skills. I have interview assessments for my public speaking because you eventually you're gonna want to get a job. Eventually you're going to want to interview at college. You have to know these skills. And I just think teachers, in my opinion, need to have a more creative approach for engagement. I feel like we're just stuck in a box and we're so worried mm-hmm. on tests, which we, you know, we can't shake away. But just holding kids you know, accountable and building responsibility and building their overall mental well-being, I think should really help, you know, because it's like, you know, in our district, you know, we do focus a lot about traumatized, you know, trauma informed, we're trauma informed district, trauma this, trauma that, but I don't really see any of the tools we've been given to be used in class. So I basically create my own tools and apply it because I see it. I can see the development Mm -hmm. in kids. I can see the changes. I can see them thinking about their actions more. I can see them thinking about what words to use. You know, the biggest thing Mm -hmm. now is just trying to break the walls down with the racial barriers 
And just know that you're going to have to work with people that don't look like you. And how can you develop a positive communication with them? You know, we can't change what happens at home. We can't change their mindset. But as long as us as teachers are able to plant a seed to know that you can think on your own and promote that and that Mm -hmm. every ability in the classroom and be more flexible with assessments like, hey, Ms. Waymeyer, you know, I had so many kids, they were asking me, they're like, can I do it this way? And I said, sure. And I just said, you have to give me a couple of moments so I can figure out how I can tie it with the rubric. I rarely said no to the kids if they wanted to still do an assignment, but have their own twist on it. Mm -hmm. Which was so cool, because that shows that they still want to do the assignment. They just want to see it in a different viewpoint. And we just need to look at all the viewpoints that we see in our kids and not just, you know, shut them down. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I think especially looking forward to the fall and at least for me in the spring, I teach game design to seventh graders in the fall. I teach a variety of different topics that I let students choose class by class. Mm -hmm. And we do that. um, And there's, uh, and it's, it's very student choice driven, but it also, um, I'm not sure how I'm going to do it at this point, you know, mm-hmm. and what exactly I will offer. And I, and we won't really know what school will look like until mid July. So I'm kind of just letting things sort of like cook and wait on the back burner Same. until we know then. Um, but I just, I have to say, I'm really, really thankful, um, that your students get to have you in class. Oh, and- thank you, friend. Oh, well, of course. But I mean, but even, but you know, it's like your, your care and your love and your concern for them as people is undeniable, but also, you know, there's that backbone of, you know, high standards for them, you know, as far as giving them a meaningful challenge that they can accomplish with your help and your support, because you've built up this relationship of trust with them. And they're willing to go with you on this journey because they trust you. And I think that's so incredibly important when you're trying to do work like this. It's for me, my relationships with students is the most important thing. And distance learning really made me question some of my practices and some of the relationships I thought I had with kids going into this. And, and I'm really thankful for that because it was a really good challenge for me in a lot of ways. I mean, gosh, just dealing with anxiety for the first time really with this makes me so much more empathic towards kids with anxiety and other mental health issues that I want to not forget that I want to incorporate into what I do. Um, and so thank you so much for sharing, uh, at least I feel like we've only scratched the surface. Like we could talk for hours, but, uh, we have been going on for a while. So, um, I mean, let's, let's do this again. Let's, let's okay. keep this conversation going. I am so down my friend. Yay. Yay. Well, cool. Well, well, so if there's, um, if people want to know more about you, what you do or to get in contact with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, if you do want to see what I do with my kids and how I adapt it for the classroom, uh, you can follow me on Instagram at all the world's a stage of seven. Uh, and that's all the world's a stage. Oh, seven. Think of Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm the drama nerd. And yeah, <laughs> and just I, the biggest thing that I share with everyone is that I am here to help. 
I am here to build. And I think that's what we need now more than ever is just positive faces and Mm -hmm. just ways that we can reach people. And if I'm able to do that through a love of gaming and theater and public speaking, then I'm all for it. So come join the journey. Could not say it better myself. Um, and but so I'll just follow it up with my clunky little approach. <laughs> if you're interested in doing anything with games in the classroom, as far as especially with teaching game design, you can uh, go to my website, KathleenMercury.com. Follow um, and go use any and all of it. It's all for free. And I'm on Twitter as at Mercury with seven M's. Um, I'm on BGG as Funk Donut. And there's nothing <laughs> that I love more than to um, work with people and help them set up games in their classroom. Um, so please feel free to uh, reach out. And with that, um, this has been another episode of Games in Schools and Libraries. I hope everyone stays happy, well, and safe. That as teachers, librarians, that you hopefully get to take some good, meaningful, positive rest. And um, just know that if we're doing our job and we're teaching with love in our heart and our grade book, that we will get through this and everything will be okay. Yes. Self-care is key, teachers and librarians and just anyone that deals with youth. Take those moments to take care of yourself. There is nothing wrong with that. You know, if you need to silence your phone for a minute from that kid that's wanting to figure out how they can increase their grades. Just be like, you know what? I'm not going to worry about it. I'll return it. Mm -hmm. And it's okay. Because if you can't take care of yourself, how are you going to take care of your kids? There you go. We all have so many spoons. And we need to make sure we protect them, I guess. (laughs) No, yeah. And make sure they're not going to get broken or old. (laughs) There we go. There we go. Well, thanks so much. And have a good summer. Bye. Bye. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Games and Schools and Libraries podcast. You can find out more about us and the people who create this show over at InverseGenius.com and all of our other wonderful, wonderful shows, including on board games, on RPGs, the Inverse Genius podcast, and the Room Escape Divas. We are also now joined by the Party Gamecast and Nephilip, who you might remember as Stephanie, previous co-host here on the Games and Schools and Libraries podcast, and our friend, Lynn Theory. Thank you for listening. Games in Schools and Libraries is produced in association with the Georgetown County Library System.